The following is a sermon from Gila Valley Baptist Church, and we pray this message strengthens your relationship with our Lord and Savior. We're located in Gila, New Mexico, and to learn more about our ministry or how to support our ministry, please visit GilaValley.org. Would you turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Isaiah chapter 9? In Isaiah chapter 9, we will be looking at verses 2 through 7. As we study this text, we will see an idea unfold, the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ and the nature of his kingdom are clearly predicted. And so as we study the foundations of our faith over the next couple weeks together, we will see that the kingdom of God is at hand. What do we believe about the kingdom of God? In Isaiah chapter 8, It ends with darkness and gloom of a corrupt and wicked people who are seeking worldly wisdom and rejecting the wisdom of God. In fact, these people in Isaiah chapter 8 are cursing God. They are angry with God and they are very far away from God. Verse that uh, one of our deacons read this morning in Ephesians chapter 2 described this same group of people as people walking in darkness and people without hope and without God in the world. My prayer is that the Lord would use our church to share the kingdom of God with our community. And so let's pray before we study Isaiah chapter 9. Dear Father, would you open up our hearts to what your word has in store for us this morning? Father, would you convict us of our sin? Father, would you empower us to be the light house in this community? Would you allow us to be the light in our different influences that we are entrusted with? Lord, would you give us courage to stand firm in the truth and preach the kingdom of God. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to read God's word starting in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has the light shine. We see in verse 2 that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Let me tell you, if you don't know, without Jesus in your life, there is absolutely no hope. There's no purpose to live. There's no direction. There's no wisdom at all. Without Jesus, we are in darkness. And so transitioning from Isaiah chapter 8 to Isaiah chapter 9, we're seeing that there was once a group of people who were in this darkness. And we too, all of us, each and every one of us, if we are now in Christ, we are once in that darkness and we have been paid for by the blood of Jesus, our relationship with the Lord God Almighty. But I love what verse 2 says here, and I circled the ED on the end of walked because the people who walked, formerly they walked in darkness. As Christians, we no longer walk in darkness, but we walk in the light. We pursue heavenly things. We don't 
think about worldly wisdom at all as they were doing in Isaiah chapter 8, but we try to look for the wisdom and the counsel of our great God. We see here that the people have seen a great light. This isn't a little night light. This isn't a little sparkle in the sky. This is a great light. So many of us, maybe if we're younger in our faith, we flirt with the light. And we try over to go over here and we're like, i got to be in the light. But then we continue to fall back into darkness. No, this is a great light that the people have seen. And we have seen a great light, and maybe you have seen a great light because someone shared this light with you. Let me ask you this. Are you the light that someone needs to see in order to experience who God is? Jesus' light shines bright on them. At the end of verse 2, we see that on them has the light shone. These people that were so wicked, these people that did not and should not have ever ever came to Jesus in worldly standards, these people that were so far away from the truth, they were angry at God, they were cursing God on them. Those people that we thought would never come to repentance, those people that we thought would never come to a relationship with Jesus, those people like me. Those people like you, those people on them has the light shown. In fact, in John chapter 8, Pharisees bring a woman who's caught in adultery to Jesus and says, what should we do? The law says that we should stone her to death. And so what should we do? And Jesus responds with, you without sin should throw the first stone. Jesus follows on in John chapter 8, verse 12. It will be on the screen. Directly after that conversation, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I in the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. May we follow the Lord. May we pursue the Lord. May we not walk in darkness as Christians. There's a popular hymn, that hour that we first believed. Would you remember when you saw the light? Would you remember when you first came into a relationship with Jesus? And would you share that never-ending hope with those around you? Would you help grow the kingdom of the Lord? Let's look at verses 3 through 5 in your copy of God's Word. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as if on the day of Midland. We see here in verses 3 and 4, and I'll continue on in verse 5, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every grommet rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. We see that Jesus has an overpowering joy. 
When we have a relationship with Jesus, our joy is overpowering. Every other hardship that we endure has no weight because we have a relationship with Jesus. In verse 3, we see you have multiplied the nation. And the Lord is multiplying the nation. And he will never stop multiplying those who are in the holy nation. Those who are in the future kingdom of God. And he will never stop increasing the joy and the understanding of who it is and who he is. May we be more satisfied in Christ than we were yesterday. As we grow in our relationship with the Lord, may we pursue the things of God more and more each day. They rejoice. These people who were formerly far off away from the Lord, those people rejoice before you. Let me tell you that our audience does not change. Regardless of who attends church or who does not attend church, regardless if our whole community decides that they need to come into the house of worship or they don't, our audience does not change. Our instruction manual is God's word and we will preach God's word. Our audience is the Lord. It is not the congregation. Your audience is not the person sitting next to you. When you are worshiping and singing these songs and rejoicing before the Lord, you're not saying, oh, I'm not a good singer. I'm not as good as the person behind me. No, it is between you and the Lord. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. Man, the joy of the harvest, the joy when we're finally able to go and pick from our fruits. Scripture says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In fact, church statistics would tell us that 20% of the people in our congregation do 90% of the work. And support 90% of the operating budget. May that not be true among us. May we all see the light. And understand that Jesus is above all. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we want to be on that mission with him. Because there is joy at the harvest. There is joy when someone comes from darkness and they see the light. May we celebrate that. May we celebrate the joy of salvation. In fact, could you picture here, uh, the author of, of Isaiah is about to give us an illustration of war. Could you imagine if we were to greet our warriors who have come home from battle? We would rejoice with great joy. The battle has been won on the cross the battle, our spiritual battle has been won. And there are still people in our community, there are people around the world that are still walking in Isaiah chapter 8. They're still walking in the darkness and gloom and there's absolutely no hope for them. But God calls us to share the light with them. And when they experience that light, they're understanding that the battle has been won. The war is over. So let's have joy in the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. They divide those who are obedient to the Lord. And they divide those who are not. Maybe even inside the congregation. As we go on into this illustration of the war. Uh, we see at the 
end of chapter, sorry, verse 4, as on the day of Midolin, this is a reference to Judges chapter 6 and 7, where the Lord went to a commander in the army and said that he needed to defeat this army that was very strong. They were very skilled in battle, and there was 20,000 people on the Lord's side here, and there were much more on the other side in the army. And what the Lord did is he went to the individual and he said, no, I need you to lead this army. Sorry, I need you to lead this army in a way that only the Lord could have victory over this battle. And so I need you to talk to your 20,000 men and I need you to tell them to go home. Whoever wants to go home can go home. And so they had a couple thousand, maybe a few thousand at this point, if you want to study in Judges chapter 6 and 7. These thousands of men, he goes back to them and he says, no, we still have too many people. It's crazy battle. He says, I need you guys to go home. If you don't trust the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, if you have any hesitation in fighting this battle, then go home. And they end up with 300 men. 300 faithful men, and let me tell you as your pastor, I'd rather have 300 faithful men in our community who are willing to share the gospel and be the light in our community than 20,000 people who are just coming to consume and never share the kingdom of God. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, talking about all of these different things in Verse 4, the burden of following Jesus is broken. Maybe an unbeliever needs to hear that this morning. There is a burden that is broken in following Jesus. This word yoke would be as if an illustration would be two animals that are yoked together. And they're walking in accordance with one another. And walking with Jesus, being yoked, being Set with Jesus where anywhere Jesus walks, that's where we're walking. Anywhere Jesus doesn't walk, we're not going there. That's the illustration of the yoke that's here. And he says it's completely broken. It's not as if you're handcuffed to Jesus when you come to know him. It is as if you are joyful. It is if there is an overpowering joy and an overpowering desire to follow Jesus. And so any reason that you have to not come to to Jesus, whether it's uh, the burdens of the staff or of the rod, they are broken as if on the day of this war, where only God could break them, only God could take that hardship, only God could take that bad memory that you have about church, only God could take that reason why, for whatever reason, you haven't fully surrendered to following the Lord, only God could take it and break it as if on the day of this war. In fact, Satan thought that he had victory on the cross once Jesus was murdered. But we know as Christians that Satan did not have victory on the cross because Jesus rose again in three days. God will use and can use different things in our lives as fuel for the fire in our soul to pursue a relationship with the Lord, to share that light with other people. We see this in verse 5, for every boot of the trampling war in battle, to much, sorry, I tried to pronounce this a couple times, um, to much, I'm just going to 
skip over that word. And <laughs> it means screaming loudly, okay? And every garment that is rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So these things that would somewhat seem useless to those who were not in this war, maybe even those that were in this war, they would get in their way. These boots that are just left on the ground, these bloody garments and clothes that are just scattered over. Let me tell you that there is a mess before we come to a relationship with the Lord. There is a mess of our sin and our wickedness and our story of how we once walked in darkness. And what the Lord's saying here is he will use your story for you to share the light. The hardship that you've endured, the trials that you've gone through are not for waste. No, he will use these as fuel for the fire. He will use these as your testimony is going to be able to minister to someone else. And may we as Christians not dress pretty and come to church and act like we have everything all together. May we just admit that we're broken. May we admit that we need Jesus to save us. And we know that Jesus has saved us. And so we can share that with other people. Because what happens is when we pretend like we have it all together... We can't share the light. We can't use the things that God had in our life in darkness to share light with one another. If you are struggling in your marriage, then be transparent. Because you will overcome that eventually. And then you will be able to share with other people in the church who are struggling with their marriage. If you have a kid who's struggling with a, a different sin or something like that, go to someone who is older and wiser and has experienced that. And go and minister to them. Use your testimony to reach and to share the light with other people inside the church. But let me dare you to do this church even outside the church. Hey man, you struggle with alcohol, you know what? That's my story too. I used to struggle with alcohol, but God has arranged and ordained and healed me of that. If that's your story, then go and share that with someone else who's struggling with that addiction so that they could overcome because you have not overcome that addiction on your own. You have overcome it through the joy of Christ. It is fuel for the fire. In fact, I would say if you are an unbeliever and there seems to be chains on you, there seems to be a heavy burden on your shoulders, let me remind you and share the gospel with you. Jesus has broken those chains. Jesus has bought the price for a relationship with you and I'll use the illustration as if we are in jail. Each and every one of us in our darkness, in our gloom, in our wickedness, we are in a jail cell. We've been sentenced to death is what Romans tells us. But Jesus has come by and he's unlocked the key to the jail cell. He slid the door open to the jail cell and he says, you may walk out Whenever you please. The chains are broken. You have been set free. And so many of us, we continue to sit in that jail cell. So many unbelievers, they continue to sit in that jail cell. Walk out of the jail cell. Don't go to death row. Rather, go to the light. Go to Jesus and his kingdom. Verse 6. 
We hear it a lot around Christmas time as we see the Jesus' deity. We see his godship. We see his humanity. I'll read it. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Underline, circle, highlight the beginning of verse 6. For unto us. For us a child was born. This isn't just a child. This is showing God's prediction through Holy Scriptures of Jesus being born as the Son of God. For us, for those who are still in sin, for those who are wicked and they don't know who Jesus is, they don't know the joy that Jesus offers, for us a child is born. God sent his son to be born. And the second part of verse 6, we see a son that is given. A sacrifice that was made. Jesus was sacrificed for us. He was given to us. Let me tell you, you cannot earn a relationship with the Lord. There's not, amount, there's not enough good deeds that you can do. There's not a resume that you can build up in order to have a relationship with the Lord. It is a gift. We see that here. A son is given. God bore his son and he murdered his son so that you and I may have a relationship with him. He's paid our sentence. He's bought our bell. We just have to follow him. And we know that the government shall be upon his shoulder. It's declaring shall be on his shoulder and his name will be called. And so the question is, what kind of kingdom is the Lord building? Who is the king of the kingdom? Jesus is the king of the kingdom. What kind of governor will Jesus be? Jesus will be a governor who is wonderful in counsel. If you're looking for godly wisdom, look no further than Jesus. He is a mighty God. Not only is he stronger than our sin, not only is he more powerful than the things that we may fall into temptation with, but he is God. This is groundbreaking news to the original readers here in Isaiah as Jesus is being prophesied. The Son of God is being prophesied about 700 years before Jesus would actually come on the scene. And it says that Jesus is God. He is a strong God. He is a mighty God. And he is an everlasting Father. We don't often hear of Jesus being referred to as a Father. Often we think of God the Father, but what we'll do is we'll look at some text tonight in our discipleship groups of how Jesus is our Father. Everlasting, never-ending, without error. He is the perfect example of a Father that we should model. He is the Father who shows compassion as we continue to see on in. He is the Prince of Peace. Showing his royal position as the prince, as the heir to the king who is God the Father. And the heir that you and I are to Jesus as his children. And he is the prince of peace. Our peace grows as our relationship with Jesus matures. Let me say that again. Our peace grows as our relationship with Jesus matures. Let's look at verse 7. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord will increase his kingdom. And he will use those of us who are in the light, sharing the light with those around us to do that. He will increase our knowledge of the Lord. In fact, in Ephesians it tells us that even the angels do not know all that there is to know about Jesus. And too often, too many scholars will try and explain their way out of what God has not explained for us in his word. It is okay if we don't know everything that there is to know. Even the angels don't know it. And we see the increase here is growing. Even in the kingdom of God when we are face to face with Jesus and we are worshiping before his throne. And we never forget any lesson, any Bible study that we've done. We will continue to know more and more and more about Jesus because there is an infinite knowledge of who Jesus is. And we are never going to know all that it is. But may we try to and pursue the wisdom of the Lord as we increase in our understanding of the wisdom and we increase in our peace. We increase in this word called shalom, perfect peace, everlasting peace. There will be no end. We see here that a reference to the throne of David, the son of David, who would, a prophecy would be fulfilled later on in Matthew, talking about this passage here over his kingdom. And so what we can see from this text here is not only is Jesus the king over the son of David, over the king of David, but he's the king over current, future, and past kings. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords over his kingdom. And what he's doing is he's establishing his kingdom. We see here in verse 7, he establishes it and he upholds it. What does his kingdom look like? It looks like a kingdom that is full of justice and with righteousness from this time and forevermore. There is no end to learning about Jesus. The last sentence that we see in verse 7, we see the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This word zeal is a word that describes the jealousy, the perfect jealousy of the Lord. When Jesus is jealous for his children. Some of us may say that jealousy is a sin. And jealousy can definitely be a sin. But Jesus is not sinning here in his jealousy for a relationship with you. As these people in Isaiah chapter 8 are in darkness. And now they've seen the light. The Lord is jealous for those that are in darkness that he needs to call home. The Lord is jealous when we put other things before him. When we try to pursue the kingdom of the world instead of pursuing the kingdom of all kingdoms. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, our citizenship is in heaven. We are a host of heaven. 
as his children. I love the last three words here. We'll do this. He will do this. He will build his kingdom. He will establish his kingdom. He will uphold it. He will increase it. He will multiply his kingdom. He will do it. And his plan is to do it through you and I. His plan is to build his kingdom through the local church. And let me tell you, church, there is no plan B. That is plan A. And so may we not be like the 20,000 individuals who are sent home because our God is not big enough, but may we understand that our God is King of kings and he is Lord of lords and his kingdom is the only kingdom that we need to be a part of. May we be the light in our community. Our world is getting dark. As Christians, we need to be the light. I attended the Southern Baptist Convention this last week in Nashville, Tennessee as a messenger of our congregation and Dr. Tony Evans was able to preach the word and he gave an illustration of flying and how flying is never the same after 9-11. If you've flown before 9-11 or after 9-11, now because of the terroristic attack on our country, there is extreme security measures. Flying will never be the same because there were 19 men who worshipped their God. They changed the face of how the entire world travels. May there be 60 or 70 faithful men and women who change Grant County because of the God that they worship. Because let me tell you, church, the 19 men who served their God were serving a God that does not have a kingdom, but we serve a God that does have a kingdom. And so, please take this seriously. Go be the light at your school. Go be the light on the softball field, on the baseball field, on the basketball court, in your career at Walmart, in the middle of a parking lot to a complete stranger. Be the light of God. There are people who are perishing without hope and you have the hope. You have the light. I'll leave you with this question as our band becomes, begins to come forward. If our church stopped meeting tomorrow, would anyone in the community notice let me ask it again. If our church stopped meeting tomorrow, would anyone in the community notice? See Matthew chapter 5, which we'll preach on in a couple months. Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world. We are a city built on a hill that cannot be hidden. But the following verses in verses 13 through 16, he says that those who are not the light are good for nothing but to be trampled on by men. May we not be trampled on by the darkness of the world, but may we share the light that we have. When I ask you this question, if our church stopped meeting tomorrow, would anyone in the community notice? It's easy to say, well, yeah, we do this activity, or yeah, we do this activity. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you stopped going to your work, would people stop seeing Jesus? If you stop going to school somewhere, would the light no longer be present? 
That is the church. You are the church. You are the light. In our time of invitation, what is taking God's place in your life? God has paid the price for a relationship with you and he is jealous for your attention. Would you come forward as you desire?